we started a new series last week called Level Up, okay? And if you missed last Sunday, we, we kind of laid the, found work, uh, the groundwork, the foundation for this series last week. If you missed that, you can go check it out online or on the Ridge app and catch up. But um, the focus of this series is that I think that we could all agree that we want more out of life, right? I mean, sure, we got portions of our life that are great, that we wouldn't change for anything in the world, right? But if we're honest, we'd also admit that there are parts of our lives that aren't great, that we wish that we could change, that we could maybe level up, take it up a notch, right? Especially when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. But the challenge, the challenge, what keeps us from finding this exceptional life in Christ, what I said last week is that we just kind of settle, don't we? It's just too easy to settle for the common standard around us, right? And we said last week that average is the enemy of exceptional. It just is. And you know this. The normal way we do things, the way we've always done things, is going to keep us from getting to that exceptional life that we want to have. And what makes it, again, what makes exceptional so hard to do is just being normal, going along with the crowd, going along with what the world says is just easy. It's just easy to do. It's just normal. And here's the truth. I'm going to tell you something you already know. But you can't have the exceptional life you want to have if you keep doing things the normal way you've always done it. Right? We can't do that. we got to break out of that. The common standard, what this world says, what this world does, what this world teaches us, it's not working. And until we realize that, man, we're, we're just destined to keep making the same mistakes, just keep living that same life over and over and over again. And the thing that, that, that we talked about last week, again, I'm just kind of reviewing a little bit, is that we can all agree that Jesus wasn't average, right? He didn't settle for the common standard. He didn't do things the way that we do things. He didn't, he didn't treat relationships the way we treat relationships. He didn't treat money the way we treat money. He didn't treat his schedule, like how he scheduled out his days or his weeks like we do, right? He wasn't normal, but I would venture to say everybody in this room would agree. He was exceptional, right? And one of the, the reason he came the reason he came to this earth, the reason God sent his son here is to pay the price so that we could have eternal life with God. Yes, we are saved by grace. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he also came to teach us how to live, right? To, to go after that exceptional life that he has for us. So if I could get you to do one thing in this series, it would be everybody in here, everybody online, even myself included, is just to live a little more like Jesus. Like, what does that mean for you? Because I'm convinced if you live like Jesus a little more in this area, in that area, whatever area you need, it'll be different. It won't be normal. But it's what we're after. It's what we need. So here's where I want to go today. For our scripture this morning, I want to look at a time that Peter the disciple of Jesus, he, he really stressed this idea of leveling up, right? Getting to that next level in life, getting closer to Christ, breaking away from the common standard that's around us. And the reason that I want to dive into this is because he doesn't just say that the reason we need to level up, the reason we need to go after exceptional is just because he said so, 
right? Did you ever get that explanation, like, when you ask why? Like, why should I do that? Why should I do this? When you were a kid and you, you'd ask your parents, or even you as a parent, that's the answer you would give your kid, right? Because I said so. Because I said so, and I know what's better, right? And while that may be true, it, it, it doesn't help things. It doesn't help us understand things. It doesn't satisfy our curiosity. So Peter tells us, he's like, there's a reason. There's a reason that you should go after the exceptional life. Not just do what the rest of the world does. Try to be different. But when you do, Peter's going to tell us, I I need you to beware of something. He's also going to caution us. So let's dive into this. He says, um, I'm going to read this in 1 Peter chapter 1. If you want to read along in your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, We're going to be going verses 13 through 21. But instead of, okay, now, I I don't want to confuse anybody. Instead of starting at verse 13, I'm going to start at verse 17, okay? Um, and I'm going to be using the message paraphrase this morning, so this will be a little bit different maybe than what you're reading right now if you're reading the NLT or the NIV. But let's look at this together. So we're going to start at verse 17, then we're going to back up to 13. So look at this. It says this. Peter says, your life is a journey. You've got to travel with this deep consciousness of God. It costs plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life that you grew up in. He paid With his son Jesus' sacred blood, he died like an unblemished, sacrificial lamb. And this was no afterthought. It's not just something he thought about later. This was all part of God's big plan. And it's because of this sacrifice Messiah, sacrifice Christ, Jesus, whom God then raised from the dead and glorified, that you trust God. That you now know that you have a future in God. Okay. Let's pause. And let's go back to verse 17. That part there that says we need to live with this deep consciousness of God. Now, if you read that in other translations, you're going to see that there is this idea of judgment, this judgment that's coming. We live with this expectation that one day we weren't made for this earth. One day we are going to be standing in God's presence and we will face judgment. But it's going to be different for those who are in Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because we're saved by grace. You see, the truth of the gospel is, is that you can't work enough to earn your salvation. You can't do enough in your lifetime right now so that when you stand before God, when that day of judgment comes, that you can say, yeah, but. Yeah, but God. Look, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done that. It doesn't matter. You can't do enough. We are only saved through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we accept into our life, our sins are forgiven, his grace covers us, and we are given a new life, which is why when you go home later today and you finish reading 1 Peter chapter 1, you're going to see at the end of this, he talks about how the word, the word being Jesus Christ, God's word in flesh, his word has given you a new life. You are a new creation. You have been reborn, which is amazing to think about thought about this the other day because I was at the house, uh, at my mom and dad's house, and I saw the old Victrola that dad purchased one time. Do y'all know, how many of y'all know what a Victrola is? Let me see, raise your hands, yeah? Okay, good. Um, this is an old record player, okay? And I remember when I was about 12 years old, my dad, he brought this Victrola home, um, cost him a pretty penny, you know, but 
he, he knew what it was worth, and so he bought it. He brought it home, and man, he just began working on it. And he polished that joker up, got the wood looking brand new. He polished the silver arm, the crank handles, one of those old record players. You put those fat records on it, and, and then you would put it on top, and you'd crank up that wheel, and you could adjust the speed at which the record played. So you could, you could have them sounding like the chipmunks if you wanted to. You remember that? Get it real fast, or you could slow it way down, whatever you want to do, which was always fun as a kid. But um, the coolest thing about it, though, is that you could um, control the volume by whether or not you open the front doors. All it was was just this opening, and you would open up the doors, and it would make it loud, and if you want it softer, you just close the doors. It was really kind of cool. And we had Nat King Cole's original Christmas song on one of those old records. And so it was neat on Christmas morning, we play some of those old records with the Christmas songs. Anyway. It was a neat thing. In a lot of the same way, kind of in that same vein, God paid a high price for you. The cost was the priceless blood of his son Jesus. And once you were purchased, God began working on you. Polishing you up. Getting you ready. Restoring you bringing you back to life because truth is we're just like this beat up old piece of junk in the in a junk store ready to be purchased ready for somebody to do something with and that's that's not that's not too harsh to say when scripture says what we are in our sin we are dead without Christ we have no life we have no purpose And let's be honest, we're all broken, and we're all bruised, and we're all damaged, and we're in need of someone to come in and give us a new life. And that's what God does. He comes in, he purchases you, and he begins to work on you and restores your life. If you so desire, it's your choice. And that's true for every person in this room. So that's why I begin here with verse 17, because when Peter's writing this, if you want to know why you should be different, like if you want to know the reason, like a good reason why you should opt for the narrow road, why we shouldn't be like everyone else, it's because I have this deep desire in my life to live every day as a great thank you, as a way of saying thank you. Thank you to a God who has done so much for me and is doing so much in me. Right? God saw the value in me. He saw the value in you. God restored me. He's restored you. He's given me a new life. He's given you a new life. So, So living on that narrow road, man, this is a great choice to make because it's like every day I choose to do what Christ wants me to do. It's my way of saying thank you. Even though we can't do enough, We'd never be able to earn enough. It is a way every time I step out and every time I serve, every time I go throughout my day at work, at school, the house, whatever, living for him is a way of saying thank you for what he's done for me. So that's a good why. Why do we do this? It's because of what he's done for us. So then let's go back to verse 13. This is what Peter says in verse 13. He says this. He says, so roll up your sleeves. Put your mind in gear. 
And be totally ready to receive that gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Again, we're living with this idea of the coming judgment. Jesus is coming again. It's going to be different for us believers, right? Because of God's grace in our life. But what does it mean for us to live differently? Peter says it means better thoughts. He says, put your mind in gear. It means better actions. Roll up your sleeve, man. Let's get to work. Let's do this, right? It means thinking and it means acting differently. That's what we said last week. We said we need to have exceptional thoughts and we need to have exceptional actions if we want to be different this way. When Jesus comes again, let him find you doing that. And then keep reading. He says, here's the warning though, verse 14. Don't, slip, don't lazily slip back into those old grooves. Just doing whatever you feel like doing. In other words, don't go back into normal. Watch out. It's easy. It's easy to just want to slip back into those ways you were doing things, but you know better, right? He said, he says, you didn't know any better then, but you do now. Like common was before Christ, but now you're called to be different. So as obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life. And this life that we're talking about is energetic, and it's blazing with holiness. This is the exceptional life that we're going after, right? God said, I am holy, so you be holy. So let's recap. What's Peter getting at? Here's what he's getting at. Christ has bought you. You have a new creation. You have a new life in Christ. So now we live our lives as this great thank you to God. And get ready. Get ready, because that means we got to think and act differently in this world, because you're called to be holy. You're called to be holy just as God is holy. Now, anytime I talk about this, I like to focus on that word holy for just a minute because this scares some people when we talk about holiness. God's saying, you be holy as I'm holy. And for us, like reading that, looking at that phrase, this is intimidating because when we think of holiness, like when we think of people that are holy and, you know, trying to be holy, we think of people like Mother Teresa and we think of Billy Graham, right? Uh, We think of the Pope, right? When I think of holy. You know, I think of those types of bit. When I think of holy, I actually think of this right here. I'm going to pull this out. This, I think of stoles. Now, if you've been in church, member of the Ridge for a while, you know that when I usually talk about holiness and I, and I walk through this, I usually bring out my robe. And I'll put on my robe. And it freaks some of y'all out. Yeah, you're not used to me. In a, because when I put on my robe, I look like a real preacher, right? Not, not like I look right now, like a legit real preacher, right? And if you look super close, you'll see that when I put on my robe, I am so holy that I actually levitate just a little, just a little bit. My feet come off the ground. And if you look real close, you'll see that there's this halo that appears. But you got to look real close, okay? But... If I really want to be holy, when I have on my robe, I put on my stole on top of that robe. And some of y'all have seen it. Do y'all know that these come in multiple colors? And you know that um, usually there's four colors for the different parts of the season, and we switch those colors out. Right now, I brought the green because if we were at a traditional church, I'd be wearing green because that's for ordinary times. That's for... Um, the time of the church right now. And then as we get closer to the Advent, we change it to purple for the coming of the king. Anyway, getting a stole in the United Methodist Church is a big deal. And you're really not supposed to wear one until you've completed ordination and you've become a full elder. Now, having said that, I'm going to let you in on a little scandal 
when I was at St. Luke, okay? Everybody, everybody ready for this? Okay, can y'all keep a secret, okay? It's just between me and you, okay? Don't tell anybody. But when I was at St. Luke, early on, there were a lot of pastors on staff, okay? And I was the only one that wasn't fully ordained because I was still working on my elders' orders like everybody does. I was kind of young, and I was moving to, towards full ordination. So technically, I wasn't supposed to wear a stole, but the senior pastor at that time, he wanted everybody on stage, all the pastors, to look the same on stage. So guess what he did? He let me wear my stole early. Shh, don't tell anybody. Don't you get me in trouble. But truth is, it's not really that big of a deal. But every now and then, somebody that wasn't ordained, they would say something about me wearing it, you know, when I'm not supposed to. And I'd be like, don't be jealous. <laughs> and then I'd put all four on just to mess with them, you know. But you see, when people think of holiness, they, they think of robes. They think of... Talking in King James language, you know, like, thou saith the Lord, and that kind of thing. A lot of, using a lot of vows and these, and wearing colorful stoles. And I know that sometimes we struggle with this, and you're like, I don't know if that's really what I'm called to be, or how I can live, because it seems so high in my, let me explain this for a minute. And if you've been a part of this church, you know, you, you know what I'm about to say. You've heard me talk about this. But if you're new here, I want to make sure everybody's on the same foundation here. The word holy, it means to be different. That's what it means. It literally means be, it literally means be set apart, right? It means that the world, the world is doing their thing over here, but you, you're called to be over here. Like the world is on the broad road, you're called to be on the narrow road. Maybe a good way of thinking of this. During this series, you're just thinking like Peter is saying the rest of the world, the broken world, the, the, the struggling world, they're over here. But you, you, you're not called to be common. You're called to be set apart. You're called to be on that narrow path. You're called to be holy. That's the exceptional life that we're after. A life that looks more like the life that Jesus had. Right? But as soon as I say that, here's the deal. We know that this is easier said than done, right? As much as Jesus wants us to do this and as much as we want to try to be holy in this world, it's hard and it's difficult and it's not easy. And Peter acknowledges this in verse 14 and that's why he gives us that warning. He says, don't lazily slip back. Don't let that happen. Don't go back into the, the desires of what this world is going to try to tell you to do because it's amazing to me how easy this world wants to trip us up. This world wants to keep us, wants us actually to slip back and not move forward. So let me tell you what you need to do. If, you're, if you really want to go after this exceptional life, if you really want to learn what it means to be holy, you just got to stay out of the bucket. You just got to sit. So many of us are stuck in the bucket. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, let me illustrate it this way. There's this thing that if you want to collect crabs on the beach, you can actually grab a bucket and you can put a bunch of crabs in that bucket and they will actually not escape from the bucket. And you know why? It's because when one of the crabs says, I want something different, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not used to the bucket, I don't want to be in the bucket, and when he tries to break free from the bucket, he'll start to you know, step on the other crab's backs and he gets closer to the top and as he moves his way forward, another crab will see his progress and they will pinch his little crab hiney and pull him right back down. It'll happen every time. And they can't get out of the bucket. 
So having seen this, there's actually been, the psychologists, they refer to this as the crab mentality that we have as people. And this is exactly what Peter is getting at. It's easy to slip up when we care so much about this world. This world and the people in it will want to pull us back. Now, I can promise you, this is why it's so necessary to be a part of a small group. This is why it's so important to be a part of a community of Christ that wants to encourage you to move forward because when we're part of the world, what they do is when they see you progressing, when they see you going after that exceptional life, they'll say things like, who do you think you are? What, you think you're better than me? Doesn't have anything to do about you. This is about me. This is about my... But they'll say everything they can. Where exactly do you think you're going? They'll try to slip you up, pull you right back. Why does this happen? Why, why, why is the world like this? You know why? It's because there's comfort on the broad road. Right? Remember when I said last week, there's this false sense of security that comes when we're surrounded by everybody else doing the same thing on the broad road. And the reason I bring this up again is because a lot of us, we're trying, we're trying so much and so hard to get to that exceptional life in Christ, but we know it's hard. You might be taking advantage of every opportunity you have and you're rallying every day. You really want to be a part of what Christ is doing. You really want to be different. Man, you want to be grateful to a God that has given you so much. And I want to encourage you to keep moving. Don't slip up. But I also want to warn you. I want to be honest about this. Because what Peter says is true. We do need to be warned as Christ followers. And it is difficult. And the temptation is to slip back. So if we're going after exceptional here, and I want you to be prepared, and I don't want to sugarcoat anything, man. I I just want you to be aware, like Peter says, of the challenges that are in front of us. So let me give you two warnings. If you got your message notes, let's fill in these blanks real quick, okay? If you're online, you can find those message notes on our app. Here's the first warning. Number one, you will be pressured. Okay, you will be pressured when it comes for that exceptional life that you're going after. You will feel the pressure. Because one of the biggest desires we all have is to please. We talked about this a little bit last week. We want people to like us. We want to be liked. Even those people that are hard-headed in our lives, you know the people. There's no need to point. Those people that say, I don't need anybody. I don't don't care what other people think. There is, we were built, we were made by God with this desire for community. We need community. Community. That's why that show, I don't know if you watch that show alone. That's why it's so difficult, too. Not that it can't survive. It's that loneliness, right? It's such a struggle. We, we were made with this need for community. And that's why I'm saying it's so important for you to be a part of the community in a church, your church family, who's going to support you. However, what we also feel like we need in the broken sinfulness of our lives, that we feel like we need that, that acceptance from the people around us. But here's what Proverbs says. It says this, the fear of that human opinion around us, it'll disable you. That's what it does. But trusting in God, it actually protects you from that. 
There's a great story in John 9 that illustrates this so well of a time that Jesus healed this man that was born blind. And he told this guy to come here and he, he spit, you may remember this story, but he spits, on, spits in some mud and he rubs it and he makes a little paste with the mud and he puts it on the guy's eyes and everybody sitting around was like, oh, what is he doing, right? And then Jesus tells the guy to go down to the pool and wash it off, right? And the guy's probably got to be thinking, this is weird, I don't know what's going on, but I know that Jesus is different, I know that I should follow him because he's amazing, right? So he does it. And when he comes out of the pool, he's, he's not blind anymore. He can see everything. Now, what would you do if you had been healed from blindness? You'd want to tell everybody you know, right? So he begins telling everybody. And he's telling this person, he's walking home and he's just shouting for God. And the religious leaders didn't like it. The crowd didn't like it. They were concerned. Because saying that Jesus healed blindness, well, that's, that's a big deal. So they all got together, this crowd, they all get together and they say, well, maybe, maybe, what if this guy wasn't really blind? What if he just made the whole thing up? What if it's just a sham? We should question him and see what really happened, and we should question his parents. So they bring his parents, they bring the parents of this blind man up in front of the group and listen to what his parents said. They asked him, they were like, was he born, is this guy really blind? Can we trust his story? And listen to what his parents said. They were scared out of their mind, John 9, 20, 21. He said, the father said this, well, we know this is our son, and we know that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see, we don't know who healed him, Ask him, he's old enough to speak for himself, and then they step back. And the guy that's just been, imagine if you were that son, imagine if you were that child, and you're looking at your parents, and they don't want to say anything, and they just kind of step back and out of the way, and you're like, this is the greatest moment of my life. Why can't you back me up in what I'm saying? And we find out why. Listen to why they wouldn't back him up. Verse 22, it says, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying that Jesus was the Messiah, which, side note, in the Old Testament, it was believed that the coming Messiah would be able to heal blindness. That would be one of the prophecies. That anyone saying that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. The parents, even with their child, even though this amazing thing had happened in their child's life, they still felt this pressure. Because they knew that backing his story meant giving God the glory. They also knew that they would be treated differently. They were more afraid of what the leaders thought than about what God wanted from them. It's just like that verse in Proverbs that says that the pressure and fear of the crowd had disabled them. So let me ask you, um, is being worried about what other people think, in, in that area of your life where you want to go after exceptional, but you know it's going to be different, are you worried about what someone's going to think? Are you worried what a group is going to think? worried about what a family is going to think, what my friends are going to think? I, I believe that some of you, God is calling you to do more, but this pressure that you feel is keeping you and holding you and allowing you to slip back. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. So let me give you a warning. If you want exceptional and to go after that life, you will feel that inward pressure to please. It's hard to do. But if you can get past it, that's where exceptional is. The second warning I got to give you 
is that you're going to be criticized. You, you're going to be criticized. People will say harmful things to you. People in the crowd will hurl insults to you as you head off in a different direction. Again, because they don't like to feel like what they're doing is different, what they're doing is wrong, so they're going to be upset with you. Jesus actually warned us about this. Look at John 15. It says this. Jesus said, if you find the godless world is hating you, remember, just remember that it got its start hating me. The reason they hate you is because they hated me first, right? If you lived on the world's terms, the world would love you. If you just go along with the crowd, go along with the broad road, again, it's going to be easy. Everybody's going to love you. But since I picked you to live on God's terms, but since you're called to be holy, the world is going to hate you. So when that happens, Jesus says, remember this, servants don't get better treatment than their masters. If they beat on me, they will certainly beat on you. In your translations, if you're reading that in the NIV or the NLT or... um, CEV, whatever that translation, it's going to say, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Get ready for it. This is what it costs to be different. Being average isn't what the world wants. I mean, being average is what the world wants. Being different is what they don't want, and they are going to criticize you. In fact, great examples of this time and time and time and time in Scripture happen over and over. In fact, in Acts, the very start of the church, y'all may remember this story But it was the Sunday that Peter got up and he began to preach. And the Holy Spirit descended on them and they began to speak in tongues. Do you remember that story? 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in one day at one time. It was amazing. It's the day of Pentecost. And when we celebrate that in the church, the color is red. Just so you know, I'd be wearing a red soul on that Sunday for the fire of the Holy Spirit coming down and consuming the disciples. Amazing day. And you know what the crowd did? They saw this different thing that was happening that the disciples were doing. And they criticized them. First words out of their mouth was, they're just drunk. They've been drinking too much. They said this so much that... Peter actually has to get up and address the crowd that was criticizing them and said, listen, Peter actually says this, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Nobody's drinking at nine o'clock in the morning. We are not drunk. This is an amazing, amazing example of God at work. But again, story after story, anything different that the disciples did, they were criticized. Let me leave you with this memory verse. 1 Thessalonians puts it this way. Our purpose is to please God and not people. So as we round this out today, let me close by saying, you know what? I kind of hope you are pressured a little bit. I kind of hope we're all pressured a little bit. I kind of hope we're all criticized a little bit. Because I think that if we are, then maybe that means, probably means we're doing the right thing, right? That we are being different. We got to remember that our purpose isn't to please people anyway. That's not why we're here. In fact, you know what? You can live your whole life trying to please people and never do it. You know that person that you've been working so hard to try to please and you just can't live up to this? No matter what you do, it's like, oh, it's never enough. Do you know that time and time and time and time again, when it comes to people, it is hard to please people. But do you know that Scripture says that we can actually please a holy God? Like, we can please Him. So how do you please God? 
Like, what does that mean in your life? I'm just asking an open-ended question. What does that mean for you? In what ways do you need to be different? What's one way that you can step out of the norm and be exceptional? Let's pray. God, we just want to pray for the strength to just help us to be different in the world around us, God. Um, many of us, we could probably just look at our lives right now and see that being normal, seeing that being on the crowded road is seeing what everybody else does. You know, it, it just isn't working. It leads to loneliness and debt and heartache and addiction and depression. God, normal is not what I want. It's not what this church wants, God. But we do realize, and we are reminded this morning, that our goal is to be holy. Right? That's, what, that's what you want. That's what we want. We should reflect an attitude of gratitude because of what you have done for us, how you have bought us by the blood of Jesus. And that blood of your son it washes us clean, takes our sins away, gives us a better life both now and forever. God, we want to live for your son Jesus because he died for us. And how dare we allow anything else to distract us from that? So God, give us comfort when people criticize us. Give us strength when we feel the need to conform. And God, give us a sense of peace when those things happen. Because maybe it's then that we realize that we are living for you. That we are accomplishing what it means to be God, thank you so much. We just pray that our lives are just a living attitude of gratitude for you. May you be honored in everything we say and do. May it all bring glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.